Greetings, everyone, and welcome to episode five of the Horn Call podcast. My name is James Bolden. I am the publications editor for the International Horn Society and your host today. Uh, we have a wonderful guest, uh, Dr. Jenna Gardner, who is the assistant professor of horn at Western Illinois University in Macomb, Illinois. Uh, she has a number of uh, wonderful accolades in her performing and teaching career. Uh, she's performed with the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra, the Lucerne Festival Academy Orchestra, Steamboat Springs Festival Orchestra, um, and she was acting second and fourth horn of the Louisiana Philharmonic Orchestra for the 2012 and 2013 seasons. Uh, we had a fantastic conversation we talked about her uh, early years growing up in California and getting to study with uh, James Winter and Dave Crable. Uh, we talked about how to avoid Zoom fatigue, the dreaded online meeting fatigue that seems to be plaguing uh, almost everyone at this point. We talked about the importance of fundamentals and how she has been coping with uh, uh, all of the challenges that the COVID-19 pandemic have brought our way. Uh, we also get to meet her cat virtually. Uh, Bear is the cat's name. So uh, I hope that you will uh, take a listen and continue to follow the Horn Call podcast and uh, support the IHS in general. If you are so moved, please go on uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. I would love to hear from you. Uh, anything uh, you'd like to talk about related to the horn and horn playing. So without further delay, here is my interview with Dr. Jenna Gardner. guest today on the Horn Call podcast is Dr. Jenna Gardner. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be here. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so lots of stuff we can talk about today, but I think probably the best way to get rolling on this is what and what has seemed to work uh, with previous guests is for you to tell us just a little bit about yourself and where you are now, what, what, your, what your teaching and playing positions are, and maybe uh, you know, just a little bit about how things have kind of been uh, during the, the coronavirus pandemic. Okay. Well, I don't know how far back you want me to go. So <laughs> up to you. I'll, I'll just, I'll give a brief summary. I, I'm a Californian by, uh, by birth and I spent my whole childhood out there. And, um, then I ended up in Chicago at Northwestern, um, for my undergraduate. And I really fell in love with the Midwest and the Chicago area, especially. I'd never really been in a city like that. I'd been in New York, San Francisco, but Chicago's its own thing, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, I, when time came to do a doctorate and I was interested in teaching at the college level, it just made sense to go back to the Northwestern um, School of Music and to study with Gail Williams because she was just like in my mind that like, who are you going to learn how to teach from, you know, and, and she puts out such amazing successful students uh, who are well-rounded people as well as incredible horn players. So, um, because of that, I ended up in the Midwest again. And when the teaching job came open here at Western Illinois University, uh, Randy Faust had retired 
about three years ago now, um, I jumped on it. I was really excited about the idea of being here in Illinois for a long, long-term period. So I've been in my current position at Western for, this is my third fall starting here, and um, I love it. It's a small program, but we have a lot of full-time faculty and a lot of really strong students, and so I get a lot of job satisfaction uh, uh, because I get to teach some strong players. I get to play a lot with my colleagues in um, both faculty, Brass Quintet and Woodwind Quintet. And I also teach aural skills, which is one of my favorite courses and uh, something I fell in love with when I was doing my doctoral degree. So it's, it's really a, like the perfect job for me. I just am so happy with it. Oh, that's awesome. And yeah, you, uh, you've really been doing a lot of great things. If you've not seen uh, Dr. Gardner's uh, Horn Hacks videos, you need to go on YouTube and check those out. They are really well done. Like, I was like, wow, this looks, the production values on this are just really great. And of course, all the stuff you're saying is really great. Um, yeah, I definitely like to get into that and talk about it a little bit. But no, I, did, I didn't know you were a Californian. Yeah, I grew up in Fresno, California. And okay. My very first horn teacher actually is a, a big name for the Horn Society, Dr. Jim Winter. Oh, yes. Yeah. Him. He was uh, 86 years old when I took lessons from him in the sixth grade. And he was a wonderful, sweet man to me and sold me my first horn, a Mercurmatic, for like nothing. <laughs> I think at that point he had like 50 horns and he was just happy to kind of give a horn to someone who wanted it. And, um, and, you know, he was a Farkas student. So I, I think a lot of my original, it's kind of like I was talking about the Midwest. A lot of my original ideas about the horn really came from here through him. Mm -hmm. And um, I had an, a year with him before he kind of quit teaching altogether. And then I went to another horn teacher, Jenny Blumster, who's taught out there in Fresno for many years. And then I had the opportunity to study with Dave Crable for a semester. Oh, wow. Which was really fun because, you know, Dave is from Fresno and he lives okay. on a, a farm in Reedley, California, which is just kind of like 30 minutes outside of Fresno. And he has a new book, so people should go buy it and read it, by the way. That's right. Yeah, this is, um, there's an ad for that in, in the October horn call because I, I saw it go in. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, that sounds really awesome. You know, it's funny you mentioned uh, Dave Crable. Um, that was, I think, the second horn CD I ever bought when oh. I was in high school, the orchestral excerpts. Oh, it's a great CD. Yeah, and that, like, just hearing him play those excerpts, it's like I still, that's still like my gold standard for a lot of those is just the clarity and the musicality. Um, the first one I bought was Dennis Brain and the Strauss Concertos, but then the second one was the orchestral excerpt one. Mine was also Dennis Brain, but it was the Mozart Concertos. Oh, and that's funny. Probably, I bet you probably Crable was the second one. I don't know for sure, but it was up there. <laughs> no, that's, that's really cool. Uh, so was that a culture change in terms of going from California to the Midwest? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think so. Um, I couldn't tell you exactly the differences, but um, for sure it was different. I mean, it's hard because there's such a cultural difference going from high school to college too. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, and um, my experience as a high school student, culturally, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> now, if I was living there, it would be very different, I think, but. Sure, yeah. Um, I love it in California, but you know, I mean, there's so many 
it's like environmentally so scary right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hard to think about. Um, but the Midwest is just such a, you know, the, the, everybody says, oh, everyone's so nice in the Midwest. And I think that that's mostly really true. Mm-hmm. And I, I just really appreciate the, um, friendliness of people. And I remember when I went to Chicago, the first time I went to downtown Chicago and there's all these parks downtown and you're right on the waterfront. And I remember being like really surprised at how little like trash there was, which is a weird thing to say, but (laughs) you know, I'd been to New York and San Francisco where I just, that was not the case. And Mm -hmm. going to um, my first experience in Chicago was going to the um, National High School Music Institute at Northwestern as a, as a high schooler, like in a summer camp program. Mm. And they took us to the Millennium Park to hear the Grant Park Symphony play. Okay. And that was such a cool experience. I'd never been in an amphitheater like that and heard an orchestra live like that. You know, it was just really amazing. So I, I don't know, it just made me want to go back. <laughs> no, that's really cool. And, you know, um, talking about uh, Western Illinois, that that's a great program. And I mean, it's, you know, of course, Randy Faust having me in there for so many years, but it's just, there's a really strong tradition of horn playing uh, in, in that school. So, I mean, I think, I think uh, you're, you're the exact right person in the exact right place. So <laughs> saying that, Oh, you're welcome. He you told me to be going well. Uh, yeah, I'm really happy. And uh, Randy told me when I first started, this job that the, that I was the third horn teacher ever at this university because his predecessor, Roger Collins had been here for many, many years, most mm-hmm. of his career. And then of course, Randy was here for at least, I think at least 20 years. I can't remember the mm-hmm. exact. And, and now me. And so that's mm-hmm. intimidating in a way to have that kind of uh, those shoes to follow in, not necessarily to fill, but um, mm-hmm. so it's been, I think, a, a, a good transition. I am so appreciative to, to Randy and Sharon Faust. They're both still here in Macomb, and they're extremely supportive of the program and the Horn Studio, and even me personally. They've always been really great to me and my family, so it's wonderful. No, that's, that's really good to hear, and, you know, that that is for like a new teacher coming in and if someone is, has retired and there's, they've been there many, many years and they have, you know, all of these former students and alums and that sort of thing that, that can be, like you said, intimidating, but it, it sounds like as usual, Randy is, is uh, such a nice guy and such a warm personality um, that I, I think, I think uh, it couldn't have worked out any better though. So that's great. Really. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, and things are going well this semester as, as far as, you know, teaching and everything going? Yeah, you know, it's challenging. Um, I'm teaching horn lessons completely online and also oral skills completely online. Mm-hmm. So there's been a big learning curve even just since last June where we thought, oh, okay, by the fall, we'll be back to normal. <laughs> mm-hmm you know, I mean, we've done all the things everyone else has done where we've got microphones and now we know how to do Zoom, uh, you know, music mode and uh, things like that. But, you know, what I, I discovered today, actually, I was teaching an oral skills class and something I, I just sort of happened upon in oral skills today is, you know, I have these classes with like 25 students in them and you're just looking at your Zoom screen with like all the boxes. Oh, yeah. a lot of times I'm showing slides or doing, so it's like, I see even less of them and it just feels like you're talking 
to a screen. You're talking mm -hmm. to yourself. Yeah. And today was just a really wonderful moment where I could turn off the slides and a few students were willing to be vulnerable and sing for the class and a mm. few willing to give some constructive feedback. And it was just like, oh, it was like, I just like didn't realize how much I needed it. It made me feel like I, I was saying to my wife, it made me feel like I was teaching, not lecturing, you know, and that's why we do this is for that interaction, for that, um, that organic thing that happens in the moment between, you know, one student, another student or a teacher and another student. And so it was exciting to have that happen, even in this like virtual environment for them to take risks and be vulnerable and learn something. And, you know, and, and then I learned, I learned something too. I learned that I can ask them to do that. I was a little nervous to make them <laughs> that uncomfortable. They rose to the challenge and that was really great. No, that, that is good to hear. And yeah, there, there's the, um, the thing of where like, you know, in a class of 10 or 20, uh, there will be a certain percentage of them, unless you require it, they're going to have their cameras off. Mm -hmm. And so you just see their, you know, their avatar, their initials or whatever. And so that, that's even, even, even more dehumanizing to the, <laughs> as far as the teaching experience goes, but sure. um, yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it, have you figured out a way to kind of cope with the zoom fatigue of, you know, I remember back in March, it was like, if you're teaching all day, you just, you take the headphones off and you're like, oh my gosh, I feel like I've been, you know, in outer space for five hours or something. Um, I definitely have that. I've, you know, one thing I've been stressing a lot with my students this year is self-care and self-care strategies. Mm -hmm. um, for me, the, there are a few things that, that really kind of keep me sane you know, the first is getting to spend that evening time with my family that mm -hmm. we were talking about before. Um, that's been so important through all of this. Um, and then after that, you know, it's getting in touch with like my physical self because it's like, I'm looking at myself on a screen. And it's like, I'm a virtual person all day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I, um, I've studied a lot of Alexander technique. I'm not in any way like a a teacher or a professional in that way, but, but having access to that sort of kinesthetic memory is really helpful. Um, sometimes I just lay on the floor for 20 minutes to just disengage from that screen and, um, you know, get some, get some feeling of gravity in my body. And that's really nice. And then of course, actually playing the horn practice time, that's, that's really nice. And that's been probably, one of the biggest benefits of this break in gigs and performances is the time to really just practice. Mm -hmm. Could you talk a little bit about that? Like maybe talk to us about maybe what your performing and teaching schedule was like pre COVID and then how things have changed in terms of how you approach your practice day and, and, you know, getting on the horn and that sort of thing. Well, it's actually a little complicated because um, I had an injury last fall, had a playing injury. So I'll talk about before that, what my playing schedule was like. And um, so if I think back to like one year ago now, you know, mm -hmm. I was playing a lot of regional orchestras on the weekends, you know, two out of every four probably. And then um, as a faculty member of the quintets, 
I was rehearsing almost every day with the woodwind quintet and the brass quintet kind of alternating each day. I didn't usually have both at once, but that, and I was preparing recitals and, you know, I'm playing lessons and trying to practice. And the reality was that I was doing too much and mm. I wasn't taking care of myself well. Um, I mentioned to you, I have a now two and a half year old son. So he was a year and a half at that point. And I think in my mind, it was like, okay, he's older now and, and I can just do everything I used to do before I was a parent. Mm. <laughs> and so I started taking on more and more last fall. And um, it was kind of a perfect storm of things that led to the injury, which I can talk more in depth about maybe another time. But um, because of that, I kind of had to do a full stop with my playing um, around middle of October, about mm -hmm. this time last year. And I'm very lucky that I had very supportive faculty. I had very supportive students and a job that I could keep doing, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so that was interesting. I learned a lot about how to, how to teach without demonstrating, mm -hmm. um, how much I rely on that. And I think we all do, you know, to show students, this is the sound. Um, and also about recovery and what injury recovery is like. So, um, you know, um, there's not a lot of resources out there. I was really happy to see Gina Gillies article and mm -hmm. presentation at the International Horn Society. So now I feel like it's been, a, it's been a big up and down for me in terms of what I can do. Mm -hmm. uh, and now I feel like I'm, I'm like at 70% of where I was before. And so it's challenging because I want to practice a lot because it's starting to feel better, but I also have to be very careful about how much I do in a day. So I am playing with my faculty chamber ensembles again, and actually we play outside. So we have to wait for the weather to be nice. And unfortunately it's starting to get cold. So we may have yeah. to but we've been, we've been rehearsing outside and that first rehearsal back after, you know, since March, not playing together was just like, so wonderful to play with people again. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, I have to be careful about how much I'm doing, how I'm warming up in a day, what can I practice, mm -hmm. things like that. Um, but the things that I'm, I really do a lot of are my basics and that's what I had had kind of gotten away from it. I was doing so many rehearsals and concerts before my injury that I wasn't practicing enough of the fundamental stuff that we need to do to make sure our embouchure is healthy, that we're using good air, all that good stuff. Um, so that's mainly what I do now more mm -hmm. than I work on repertoire, mm -hmm. but I'm starting to get back to that and I'm excited for it, but I, it's hard when you have to kind of hold yourself back. <laughs> No, that, but that's, that makes perfect sense. And I think that's, that's a very mature approach to it because, you know, the, the instinct would be, oh, I, I've got to get back to where I was. I got to get the horn in my face and, you know, push, push, push. Um, but no, that, that sounds like you're doing, going about it uh, very, very intelligently. Um, well, and that, honest, there were times where I felt like exactly what you said. <laughs> and my body responded by saying, no, you can't do that. And so, you know, you just have to be aware. Mm -hmm. and that's, 
inner technique and, and meditation and all these other things come in because they really develop a, a self-awareness. You know, they're really focused on being present in your body, in your mind, and being aware of what's happening. You know, if your face is hurting or if you're not taking good breaths or if you've got tension in your lower back, like you, you're more aware of those things, then you can say, oh, okay, that needs to pause for a minute. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, no, and so, uh, you know, not to get too far into the weeds here, but this is a, a, a horn podcast. So when you talk about your fundamentals, are you talking like, lip slurs, long tones, you know, maybe, maybe talk just a little bit about that. Cause I'm, you know, I'm pretty sure there's students listening to this and people are oh. like, well, come on, talk about what, what exactly are you doing? <laughs> well, yeah, I'm happy to talk about that. So, um, I'm the, I don't love to start the day with long tones. I'm usually, I start with buzzing most of the time on the mouthpiece mm -hmm. and an exercise I got into when I was studying with, uh, professor Williams is just buzzing perfect fourths with glissandos mm -hmm. uh, uh, kind of thing and back and forth and really making sure that my buzz has the focus that I wanted to have that my embouchure's structure I want it to be in and um, usually I'll do that up and down both directions and then I go to the horn and I like to do kind of wiggly things and people who want to see the sort of warm-ups I do um, I do have a couple online on YouTube last year for the Western Horn Festival, since we went online in April, I did a recorded uh, warm up that with a PDF that you can play along with me. And that warm up is not necessarily what I do every day, but it's got a lot of the things that I, I think are important every day. Um, maybe I don't do them exactly in the way that they're written. Um, but I like kind of wiggly uh, things that get my air moving, my fingers going without too much uh, static motion. Well, one thing since the injury is uh, I feel like long tones are more of a struggle. You know, they stress the muscles differently. It's more like, um, like if you lifted a weight and then just held it above your head, mm. it's different than, than being in motion. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I think a lot about. Um, I love Chantal. Again, that's part of my Chicago Northwestern training is, is daily Chantal. And um, those can be quite challenging in terms of range, you know, the way they get around the horn. Um, but, but one thing that I'll say to anybody is never be afraid to modify things. You know, um, I learned that a lot from Professor Williams, which was just like, take this exercise and, and then make it up to fix what you need to fix, mm -hmm. make something new out of this. And, you know, don't play it with the articulation and how it's written, play it the way you need to practice. You know, if you're, if you need to practice slurs, then play, play it slurred. If you need to practice marcato articulation, then play it with marcato articulation. Um, all of that's important. I also do a lot of singing as part of my warmup. Oh. I mentioned that I do aural skills and uh, one thing I say to all my, my ear training oral skill students is that they, they need to incorporate the ear training into what they do daily on their instrument. Mm -hmm. So I try to practice what I preach this way. So let's say I've picked a key for the day and I'm going to play uh, B flat major, then I'm going to put on a B flat major drone and I'm going to sing a scale and then I'm going to play that scale. Mm -hmm. And then maybe I'll sing that scale in thirds and then I'll play that scale in thirds. 
And if I'm working on uh, harmonic arpeggios, then maybe I'll arpeggiate that. And that way I'm also connecting my theory. So I'm thinking, okay, you know, do mi sol, what is it in this key? What's four mm -hmm. in this key? What's, you know, how do I, how do I make that sound good? And then the nice thing is I take that and when I'm working on a solo or an etude, I can see how all those things are coming together. Um, another way to incorporate this is um, singing, then buzzing, then playing. And that's something I talk a lot about in the horn hacks videos mm -hmm. is, is that that process, because that tells me that the sound is in my head because I'm singing it accurately. And then I'm translating it accurately to the mouthpiece because the mouthpiece doesn't doesn't do anything to help me like the horn does. Mm -hmm. the horn gives us harmonics to to kind of move between, but the mouthpiece, yeah. everything you do, it comes out honestly. Yeah, there's no frets. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so th that's like the next test sort of of the, the, the system. Do I have it in my mind? Can I sing it? Can I buzz it in the mouthpiece? So am I using good air? Do I have a good sound on the mouthpiece? And am I getting accurate pitch or articulation? And then go to the horn. Mm -hmm. And that's a process I do a lot with my students and I do a lot of it myself in my own playing. It, it, it also occurs to me that, that that process also builds in lots of rest, which is really critical. I've found, you know, uh, as I get older, as, as we all do, you know, I just find that like, I need to take more time to really warm up a good mid range before going too high or too low. And that was something that I learned painfully over many years. It's like, you can't rush some things just because some people can pick up the horn and wail away up there. doesn't mean that that's right for everybody. That's everybody has to kind of find their own thing. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, um, not only does it build in rest for the chops, but it engages your mind in a, in a different way. So you're not becoming routine in your mm -hmm. practicing. It's so easy to just put the music on the stand and go top to bottom and not really listen. Mm -hmm. But practicing is when we really refine something and it, it can be refining two notes or one note. It doesn't have to be a whole piece. It could be one phrase. And a lot of times it's, there's a simple answer and it's that we're not hearing it in our heads. Mm-hmm. And if we sit there playing away at it for hours, it's kind of like treating the symptom, not the cause. Mm -hmm. So that's where I really like this process. Um, it's usually really, it's quite revealing mm -hmm. <laughs> most of the time. If you say, can you sing that to a student or to myself and they can't or I can't. It's like, well, that's, that's the root. We have to address that before we can even talk about air, before we can talk about the fingerings, before we can talk about anything. Mm -hmm. so you just have to have the discipline and the willingness to take the time to, to do that process, but it really does work at least. Well, at least in the in end, experience. it saves time. I think mm -hmm. it saves a lot of time of, uh, you know, repeating the same mistakes over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about, and, and I always, I'm always curious because you, you are such a, an awesome performer and, you know, you were kind of modest talking about your performing career. Like you've played with some really, you know, great orchestras and done a lot of performing. What about a career as a, a college teacher? What was attractive about that to you when you were kind of thinking about, you know, do I do the audition circuit and try, you know, get a, try to get a full-time playing gig or am I going to do the college teaching thing? What was that 
decision process like for you if if uh sure if you could put a, a finer point to that well you know the reality is when i was young and making decisions about my future i never even considered teaching i mean it was just like so off my my radar it was just like i'm gonna play in an orchestra you know that was the 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 thought and um really my goal for a long time um, through my undergrad I ended up playing in civic orchestra for two years and got a lot of orchestral training that way and I was a great experience and then um, when I was in Pittsburgh I studied with Bill Caballero and you know he's just I think the best orchestral player out there so I'll say he's that. He's a monster yeah he's yeah he's he's you know just a fantastic musician and here's a little plug for any students listening to is one of my best experiences as a student was that I got a job ushering at the Pittsburgh Symphony mm-hmm. and every week like two or three times a week I got to hear that orchestra play I got to hear that horn section because it's not just Bill it's everybody in that section mm-hmm. they're fabulous players and they work so well together they're a team and I, I got an education in orchestral horn playing from them mm-hmm. more than any, any lessons I'd taken for 12 years, you know? Um, at that point, I was really doing the audition circuit and mm-hmm. um, I was starting to have some success and feel like I was going in the right direction. And um, I ended up getting um, two, two years. It was on a temporary, like a one-year contract with the Louisiana Philharmonic. Mm-hmm. And that was coming to an end and I was kind of thinking about my, um, my job satisfaction and how I felt about playing in an orchestra full time, this thing that I'd always wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And, and I realized that I, it wasn't everything I thought it, had, it would be in the sense that I loved the music, I loved playing with everybody, but I didn't feel like I was getting a creative outlet. Um, I'm usually a low horn player, so and I love that. Um, and so I really enjoyed that. I played second horn and fourth horn while I was there. And I think at that point I had done a little teaching, but it had all been kind of like, you know, some third grader wants a lesson or some, mm-hmm. you know, a, an adult amateur is interested in some, you know, so it was just kind of here and there. And I was sort of making it up. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and uh, but I knew that it was fun and that I got a real, like a thrill out of uh, helping someone be successful at playing the horn. Mm-hmm. So I remember having, I had a conversation uh, with my wife and I said, I think I want to go get a doctorate and teach at the college level. And at that point we decided, okay, let's go to California where we had family mm-hmm. And cause this was like springtime. So I couldn't even do that in the fall, you know, mm-hmm. semesters work. And, um, at that point I got in touch with Gail Williams and sort of reached out to her saying, I'm interested in, in this. And she was encouraging to me, um, because I studied with her before and I'd been in touch with her over the years, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so we spent a year in California, um, where I did all sorts of interesting things like teaching violin. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, I played violin as a kid. So it was just like one of those things you do to make money when you're desperate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, 
so it was, it was a great year with family to be back with family. We'd lived, you know, on Midwest and, and sort of in Pennsylvania and Louisiana, um, and been far away. So it was nice to be close to family. Um, and then the next fall I started the DMA at Northwestern. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, the decision for me really came down to feeling like I, I had more creativity and also knowing that faculty positions tend to have more chamber music, which is, I think, my biggest passion in, in performing mm-hmm. is to, to play chamber music more than orchestral music, more than soloing. Um, I just, I love the challenges of um, the interplay between accompanying and being the soloist, trying to play with a flute and not cover them up and also fit into a brass quintet and be heard. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it, that's, that's why I say this was just the perfect job for me to be able to do both. No, that's, that's great. And yeah, I was, it's like, you read my mind. I was going to ask you about the chamber music thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so speaking of chamber music, you are part of a horn quartet, cobalt quartet, right? And I, I got to hear you, uh, you came to my university, was it maybe like, I guess it'd be almost, it's about a year and a half ago. It was in the springtime. It wasn't last spring. It was the spring before that. And I was just blown away. It was, it was such good playing, such musical playing. You all play so well together. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about kind of how that group got its start and maybe what, what plans might be coming down, coming down the line for you all? Sure. So um, Cobalt Quartet is myself, Dr. Caroline Steiger, and Dr. Katie Johnson-Webb, and Dr. Rose Valby. And um, we all live in different places (laughs) and do different things. Um, Three of us teach at universities and uh, Rose is in the military and she plays in a military band. Um, The ensemble started back when I I had my very first college teaching job in Arkansas and Katie Johnson Webb reached out to me um, because her and she, she and Rose had discussed the idea of starting a quartet. And I think that they kind of had this, well, you find a person and I'll find a person (laughs) and we'll see what happens. And Katie and I had played together very briefly in Chicago when she was in the Chicago area before she did her graduate work up in uh, Madison with Doug Hill. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we didn't know each other super well, but I was excited at the idea of, you know, this like, excellent i knew i knew all of them to be excellent players um but i i don't think any of us had played together much i think rose and carrie had done some freelancing because they're in the same area down in texas Mm -hmm. and rose and katie had played together so it's like we all had a connection but not the four of us Mm -hmm. and you know the first time we got together we just read stuff they all came to arkansas it was kind of the middle ground between tennessee and texas and it was so fun. We just had like a day of reading quartets and it just felt like our sounds fit so well together and there wasn't any um, ego. It was just like a really nice group where we could communicate well and have um, sort of similar goals. Mm-hmm. So um, since then we went on, we did the IHS competition in 2018 and, and won the professional division for that. And we've been scheduling, we try to schedule a tour in the fall and in the spring um, each year to a different region where we go to different universities or different performing venues. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, our big one last spring, of course, got canceled. Yeah. We were going to come here to the Midwest and we had plans for the fall, but that's sort of just, 
went by the wayside. Um, one thing that we did do that I was excited about is um, the Horn Festival I put on here at Western. I, I kind of coerced them all. They did it really luckily to, to be a part of that. So um, we put on a, a Zoom masterclass back when it was kind of a new thing to do a Zoom masterclass. And um, a number of other sessions that are all available on the, the WIU Horn Studio YouTube channel that people can find from that Horn Festival last April. And now we're looking towards next year's IHS, the, the virtual symposium, and mm -hmm. thinking about what kinds of projects we'd like to present there. Um, but it's challenging because we live in different places. Right. Travel because of... Um, because of COVID issues, um, but we're constantly in dialogue. What I love about this group is um, we're constantly talking with each other about pedagogy or horn things, and it's just a great resource. It's so meaningful to have colleagues that you can say, hey, what do you do when a student has this problem? Mm -hmm. Or how, you know, what do you say to your administrator when they ask you this? <laughs> it's just, um, for everyone listening, I want to just remind everyone how important our networks of people are and mm -hmm. um, building relationships is so important to our careers and to our well-being. Um, and just, you know, it's so easy with everything being on the internet to kind of feel like there's this wall, but um, they're real people on the other side and we want to have positive relationships as much as possible with people. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's kind of one of my, you know, major goals with this podcast is just to give, you know, give people a voice and people that, you know, are, are known, but maybe people haven't had a chance to really kind of hear like a, a, a longer conversation with them and get into, you know, uh, things in a little more detail. But uh, no, I, I completely agree with that. Um, no, it's funny, like, some of my things I've had on YouTube for years, people will come up to me every now and then said, Oh, Hey, I, I know you from that video. I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, you know, let's, let's get to know each other for real now because <laughs> now we're actually have a chance to talk. So. Yeah, for sure. But uh, no, that, um, are you guys going to do uh, a recording at some point? You think the cobalt quartet? I hope so. That's always been on the agenda. Um, as you know, recordings can be complicated. Um, a little bit. Yep. <laughs> and, and so that's definitely something we want to do and have, have, we tried to plan it and then the summer happened and it was just such a mess. So, um, I, absolutely. It's going to happen at some point. Um, but the plans are not yet solid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That that's, that's true of pretty much everything right now. So everything's kind of on hold and it's just, it's kind of a, a uncomfortable feeling like, well, we don't know what's going to happen. So we'll wait and see. And that's kind of disconcerting. Yeah. Oh, I see a cat. My cat's coming to visit. That's <laughs> totally fine. <laughs> what's the cat's name? This is Bear. Oh. The calico. Can you see her there? Kind of. I can't. She's, uh, she's fading into the, the background. But <laughs> yeah. I'm teaching all the time. It's Sometimes it's cute. Sometimes it's annoying. <laughs> They're, you know, talking about these Zoom meetings when, when our college has these Zoom meetings. Um, one of my colleagues in another area, she's in the humanities. Her cat 
hates the sound of our one of our administrators voices and so whenever her cat hears that administrator's voice come over the zoom call it goes bananas and it just will meow 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 till and they have to mute her so that the cat doesn't disrupt the entire meeting oh my gosh that's hilarious yeah it's some, something about the frequency of that person's voice that just goes straight to the cat's brain but mm. <laughs> wow I think that's pretty cool. Uh, speaking of you and Randy Faust having a, a great working relationship, I saw the virtual presentation that you all did for the, the IHS workshop the, um, on the composition contest. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it was really fun to do that. I was thrilled when he asked me to help him out. I'm going to toss the cat here. <laughs> um, he approached me in the summer because at that point, um, Jeff Snedeker was saying, uh, let's try to do something virtual and get some presentations done. And um, Randy wanted some help with the technological side of, mm -hmm. you know, recording in Zoom. And, and then I produced it essentially in iMovie. Um, so it was a lot of fun to collaborate with him. And, you know, those of us who are young faculty, we're constantly having to um, showcase, look, this is what I did. So it was nice to have something like that. Mm -hmm to do and to, to add to my resume. And I got to know those pieces really well, which was really exciting. So, um, and, and promote that composition contest that the IHS does every year. So um, hopefully there will be more people interested in that because they were able to watch that video and hear about these works. Well, and the recordings were just like dynamite. They're, you know, the, the, what I was hearing was like, this is really good stuff. Great um, playing, great compositions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's for any budding composers out there, even more than budding, you know, composers that are established, this is like a major competition and there's, uh, you know, prestige associated with it and prizes. So it's, it's certainly worth uh, submitting a work if you have something for the IHS composition contest. And what I, what I really loved about these two pieces is they were specifically, I don't know if they were chosen for this or if it just happened to work out this way. They both featured um, like a, a collaboration between a composer and a performer. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that just connects us so much to our history on the horn and, you know, that uh, experience of working side by side and figuring, you know, like, like having a piece written for you, like that's so cool. And then to get to play it and, and premiere it and then have it be successful in this way is really neat. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you were talking about having a creative outlet and especially for me, I'll never be a composer. I am, I'm okay with that. I know that that's not something I could really ever do at any, at any, you know, appreciable level, but just getting to dip my toe in the water and to work with a composer as they're working on a piece. That's yeah. Like you said, it's just a cool feeling. Yeah. It's really great. So, so let me ask you, what are your creative outlets? I'm going to flip the script. Oh no, that's totally fine. Um, well, recently it's been uh, <laughs> getting the October issue of the horn call ready. <laughs> uh, that's occupied a pretty significant amount of my time. And while some people might con not consider like correcting grammar and sentence structure as a creative outlet, I actually, I really enjoy it. I guess I've kind of wired up to, I, I don't mind reading other people's writing and trying to, you know, just clarify it and make it the best possible version it can be. Um, you know, I feel like that's part of my role as an editor as, is, you know, it's not to like 
tell somebody what to write or to, certainly not to change anything that they write, but to, to try to see what it is that they're trying to communicate and then trying to help them make that as clear as possible. I don't know if that's exactly Same. what an, yeah, I don't know if that's what an editor is supposed to do, but that's, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> approach. I mean, I, I feel like I should start sending you all my emails to, <laughs> no, I, that makes so much sense. And I imagine that's a big role to step into, to have, have all that responsibility. Well, you were, you were talking about filling big shoes. I certainly felt that, um, you know, after uh, Bill Scharnberg had stepped down after 17 years, I, I think that's, I don't know if that's the longest running horn call editor, but I kind of think it probably is. Someone will have to fact check me on that. It's certainly, it's certainly a very long run and he did a tremendous job for, you know, all of those years. Um, you know, I think people, when they pick up or, or see digitally the, the October issue, they will certainly see my my immense respect for, <laughs> for what Bill did and that, you know, my, my goal wasn't to come in and like completely change everything, but just try to try to uphold that tradition and try to do the best job that, that I could. And, um, you know, I had such a good team already in place. A lot of the people that Bill had worked with were still there. Of course, all the column editors and everything. Um, so that, that, that was a big creative thing. This podcast is, uh, you know, kind of a new thing for me. I'm a big fan of podcasts and was a big fan of the IHS podcast uh, 1.0 when it came around in maybe like 2007, 2008, something like that. Um, that was back when people still had iPods and you would, you know, connect them to your computer and it would download them and put them on your iPod. I didn't even know they had that. They did. And there's still some of those archived on hornsociety.org. But from what I understand, they just kind of ran out of content. It was mostly like archived performances and master classes from previous uh, symposiums. Um, and they were really cool. Like there's a John Barrows master class that's amazing. Wow. That's still up. Um, and so that was one of the things that I wanted to do to kind of increase the visibility of the horn call. And then also, um, as I was saying earlier, to just kind of be a little bit more of a personal voice, uh, give a personal window into, you know, people that are active in the IHS and active in, in horn playing, um, and, and not just in the United States, but uh, all over the world, because it is an international organization. Um, I feel a little bit overwhelmed <laughs> sometimes, but I think that's pretty normal for when you take on a new position. I certainly felt that way, um, you know, starting new jobs and starting, you know, teaching at the university level for a little while till you get your feet under you, everything is brand new. And then now that the October issue is out, I know kind of the, some of the pitfalls and, you know, we'll be more prepared for, for February. Well, you know, and this is kind of a throwback to what you were just saying a minute ago about, um, you know, adding this podcast to the repertoire of things the Horn Society is doing is I think something that we all need to think about is, you know, the way that we are consuming material is different now. And um, while print media is still a very important aspect of that, um, certainly and academically, um, also YouTube, podcasts, TikTok videos, I mean, that's where, um, you know, our children Mm -hmm. are growing up and that's the kind of material they're used to engaging with more um, intuitively. So, I mean, that's been a lot of why I've worked on that Horn Hacks series. So, 
strongly is not just as a um, as a recruitment tool, which is it's helpful for that um, for my visibility here at Western, but also because a lot of kids are way more comfortable interfacing with a YouTube video than they are taking a lesson. Mm-hmm. It's really it can be get quite intimidating for them to email a horn teacher or heaven forbid call. You know. Mm-hmm. Oh, no one does. No one does that anymore. <laughs> so, so to email or to even Facebook message or anything is, is intimidating. So if there's a way to help students get access to good information, um, then I think that's the way. And so that's been a lot of my goal with that series and, um, hopefully, and, and I, I hope to continue it. It's been hard to get, um, studio time with, all, everything's getting recorded and live streamed now. So it's like these, these side projects are uh, harder to get scheduled, but. Well, and they're really well done. I mean, I'm, I'm really impressed. Like, so you have a pretty good um, production team there with lighting and cameras and mics and all of that stuff. Yeah. So I've been really, really lucky in that I had this series in mind for years. I was always wanting to do something like this. And, um, when I came to Western, I met a colleague here who works in the university television department. And mm. he had done a trumpet degree here at Western. And he, so he's very passionate about music and he's helped set up our live streaming system in the concert hall when they, when they did all that. And um, I mentioned to him this project and actually it started out with doing the Allstate videos. And so mm-hmm. that was our first collaboration together. And he was like, well, you know, instead of, you know, just recording in the concert hall, why don't you come to the television studio and you can use the teleprompter and, you know, do it that way and it'll be good lighting, all the things you said, high production value. So um, he's been a huge resource and that, that department within my university too, that, that I've had access to that, that I could never do with my iPhone camera, you know, mm-hmm. um, and iMovie, although um, I may have a few videos coming out that are a little bit more in that vein, just to keep things happening um, as we're all making some compromises during COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm very lucky to have, to have his assistance. And um, like you said, to help bring clarity to the message, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, that can be really helpful having um, that kind of production value. No. And uh, well, is there anything that you kind of behind the scenes stuff that you didn't know went into making a really polished, you know, video um, that you might not have known g- before you went into this? Um. I think the hard, one of the hard things for me is learning to read a teleprompter, <laughs> you know, and actually we all had this experience with zoom screens where like the camera's up here. Oh yeah. Mine's up here. And so I bet I'm used to looking here. So yeah. And like, you're like, do I look at myself or do I look at the person I'm talking <laughs> Kind of confusing. Um, so I had to get used to reading the teleprompter and um, trying to think what else. You know, we experimented a little bit with microphones for the horn um, because mm-hmm. our hall had great microphones, but I felt like I wasn't getting any articulation clarity um, when I would play. So they ended up mixing in like a, a microphone that went kind of like 10 feet behind me. Mm-hmm. And 
that was, you know, interesting to figure out how to do all of that. And of course, he's shown me a few times the way he processes it and edits on the computer. And I'm not sure what program he uses, but um, from that, I learned so much just seeing him do that. I was able to go to iMovie and kind of like very poor person's version, <laughs> create um, some some videos that I've that I've done since March. Like I just did the Allstate videos this fall and I did those all myself. And you'll see they're not the same quality, um, which is, you know, it's frustrating <laughs> when you're so used to it being so good, but it's also, um, it's just nice to be able to, to do things and have no, that. No, I agree. The technology is pretty user-friendly at a, at a decently high level. Mm-hmm. No, and that was another thing just, you know, since March, obviously there were people who had been active doing that kind of thing for a while and they kind of just rolled right along with it. But then like myself, I had never, I'd done some of the stuff with iMovie and with Final Cut, the Apple stuff, but I had never really experimented with the Adobe suite of tools like um, Premiere and InDesign for for layout and that sort of thing. And so what that did was it kind of forced me to to deal with some of those like, some of that software and just kind of sit down and bite the bullet. And if anybody that has used Adobe Creative Cloud before, they'll tell you when you open it up, it's like information overload. There are so many menus. There's yeah. like, you know, when you, when you open something by Apple, one of the reasons they're so popular is it looks friendly. It looks like inviting, like Simple. here, yeah, create something with me. I'll be your friend. But, you know, Adobe does not want to be your friend in that way. It's like, you better know what you're doing when you open this because otherwise you'll have no idea what to do. That's out of my uh, wheelhouse for sure. Um, but you know, one thing, um, and we kind of hit on this before we started talking is that I feel like, yeah, there are a lot of limitations and there's been a lot of restrictions on things and we've had to make a lot of compromises, but there've also been a lot of really fantastic things that have come out of this. And um, one thing is certainly the technology and the way we've we've recognized, I think, that we can integrate more technology into our performing and into our teaching in a way that's not destructive. I think for a long time, there's been kind of an anti-technology feeling when it comes mm -hmm. to, you know, classical music performance, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, so I see my colleagues a lot more open to making videos um, I see my students are able to record themselves in mm -hmm. more um, uh, higher quality ways, but also they're just recording themselves more and they get to hear themselves play. And man, that's, it's hard to listen sometimes to yourself. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's such an incredible teaching tool to go, oh, I didn't realize I was doing that, but I definitely, you know, it's honest. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a mirror, you know? And in the other sense, being able to collaborate and get, I mean, guest artists are coming from all over the world to Western Illinois University via Zoom. And that is so neat because we get to hear from them and talk with them and we don't have the inconvenience of travel time and expense and mm -hmm. time zones and all of the stuff that comes with with traveling and of course being in person is better but um it's also 
created opportunities that wouldn't have happened at all, I feel like. No, that. absolutely. Yeah, travel that would have been out of the question is now, can you be available for an hour or two for a Zoom call? <laughs> and all these, I mean, all these horn programs that happened over the summer, you know, where there was a master class every day. You mm -hmm. could free, you could, you could, if you, if you did some searching, you know, you could go warm up with Andrew Bain on Monday and then on Tuesday hear Bill Caballero give a master class and then on Wednesday go hear Freudus mm -hmm. and and then, you know, a live stream concert of, of whatever orchestra was playing at the time, you know, and all these orchestras opening up their archives for people to listen. I mean, it was really fantastic. And I think that that's going to change a lot going forward. There are a lot of th tools we're going to keep in the mm -hmm. in tool chest that maybe we wouldn't have developed otherwise. Yeah. And it's, I've, my feeling is that out of this tragedy, this big mess that has been this whole COVID-19 pandemic, I think there's, I think we're poised for a renaissance of, you know, like you said, technologically informed teaching, leveraging technology to be better performers and better teachers. And then just also when, when we finally are able to, to go back to quasi-normal or whatever, whatever we're going to call normal after this, um, there's just going to be a, a richer environment. And that, you know, that's what I, you know, that's me putting my best possible spin on it. Cause I, I certainly hope so. I agree with you. And, you know, of course we have to acknowledge that there's been a massive loss of life and that that is, is the tragedy in all mm -hmm. of this. And, um, uh, in no way do I mean to not acknowledge that, um, certainly that's not worth any of the things we've learned, <laughs> Um, but I think what you're saying is really important that we find the positive in the situation. Um, I've seen so many students that are engaging, um, globally with different horn players. And I think that's fantastic. I think that, uh, the faculty at different universities have been more communicative and, you know, can you come do a class at my school and I'll come do mm -hmm. a class at school. And, and that's just opened up a whole world of uh, people to our students and um, and to the, us as teachers, you know? No, absolutely. Um, well, and I can't thank you enough, Jenna, for taking time out of your, your evening to, to do this. And uh, this was, this has been a great conversation and I'm, you know, we could keep going for a long time after this, I'm sure, but I should probably let you go to, uh, to be uh, with your family and to get ready for, <laughs> get ready for your day tomorrow. But thanks again. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. It was a fun conversation. You're very welcome. Thank <laughs> you.